0: I listen to that song a hundred times uh, through Christmas. There's something so powerful about it that hits me every time. Uh, True to the same slide starts my uh, presentation. We have this beautiful um, rendering of Mary here uh, entitled, Complete Joy. And I just love it. This it radiates joy uh, when you see this. And so we want to talk about joy today and talk about happiness which is not the same thing as joy and figure out why was she joyful which might be kind of a stupid question but we're gonna find out maybe it's a really good question why did she have joy or happiness at all or did she have both or just one and as a pastor and I'm sure as a human being uh, you have experienced this too but I get a front row seat on things that some people don't always get so I have met people who are unhappy and who have no joy. They are miserable people. Uh, They suck the air out of rooms wherever they go uh, because they're in such a dark place. And it's a, a... anytime we come across somebody who is in that kind of darkness we need to empathize with them because they didn't just get there. But Something has happened to them to take them to this place of utter darkness. I have met people who are unhappy and who have no joy and it is a place of utter despair. Uh, Sometimes we find ourselves uh, when we struggle with depression uh, in that kind of a place where we've lost sight of both happiness and joy, two very different things. Um, If you're on my secret pastor's email list and you know who you are I send it out every couple times a week or so and yesterday I sent one out and um, Carol Tolan had actually asked me uh, for some uh, some ideas about uh, devotionals for next year and so I was thinking about that and I thought that's a great idea Carol, so great idea Carol and I thought let me just throw some ideas out there for you and I came across uh, a new person to me, uh, Monica Coleman and the reason I think I found out about her is because she is um, a PhD in Process Theology and Has pretty deep in the weeds on that she's an african-american woman and her devotionals speak into how do you do faith when you're in the midst of depression because of some of the things that she's been through in life so highly recommend you dig up that email and check her out It's really good so I've met people who are both unhappy and have no joy I've also met people who are happy but don't necessarily have joy Happy is one of those fleeting things, right? So I asked you a question, or asked you to ask each other the question, uh, what makes you happy almost instantly? So I have a handful of things that do that for me, uh, but I'm curious about you. So just call it out. What are some of those things that just make it happen for you quick? Turn that frown upside down. What is it? Baseball? Baseball? Really? All right. Good for you. Golden Retriever. Very specific and true. All right. I heard chocolate somewhere, right? Amen on that. Music, okay, yep, for sure. Meatloaf, is that what you said? (laughs) That makes no sense, George. Sorry, my hearing. (laughs) Did you say kittens? Eight-week-old kittens. kittens. Again, specific, but how can you? Yeah, right. In fact, I think we're having. I think we're going to have a bunch of kittens back here, like in a couple weeks. No kidding. Like we're a safe space for kittens like in two weeks uh, in this backstage area. The strays and stuff are getting fixed up (laughs) and so they're going to be recovering at Crosswalk. One more cool thing Crosswalk does. All right, very good. Uh, Anybody else? What'd you say? Babies, Babies, right. Got a happy grandpa of more grandkids coming too. What else? Did you say birds? Birds? Okay, I never know what's going to come out of your mouth. So all right, yeah sure. Very good. Very good. Anything else? Unforced love from your children. <laughs> Unforced love from your children. Wow. Yes. That is a young mom right there. We understand. What else? Nature. Plants, nature, great. What else? Calls from your grandson. Grandsons pay attention to that. Grandmas love a call from their grand grandson. All right. What else? A smile. A smile. Yeah, fantastic. Right. Uh, Yeah? Oh yeah, the sky, the beautiful uh, horizon. Yeah, we get a new landscape every, or scenery every day. Yeah? Rock and roll. All right. That's right. On that note, I'm reminded of something that uh, I wanted to share last week but forgot. So Wanda McCart was one of the first to arrive here uh, last Sunday morning. She gets here uh, early and she comes in and she announces to me that she was listening on the radio on her way to church come together right now from the Beatles so just a tip of the hat to Wanda and what a great song uh, to come to church on too. Get you right in the, the mood for everything. Uh, Frappuccinos? Anybody? I mean come on. Uh, the physics don't work out well for me they're usually gone by the time I'm out of the parking lot but still it's a wonderful rush while it lasts. Uh, I'm a foodie, so lots of different foods uh, can do that for me. Uh, if I see um, the Sharks, the Giants, the A's, the Niners, the Warriors, or the Kansas City Chiefs win a game, that makes me happy. If I see the Dodgers lose a game, that makes me happy. Because <laughs> I think some of you can relate. right? So we have all these different things that make us happy. And they're wonderful, and so we fill our lives with the, these things. but. If you're like me, you also know that those things are different than joy because those things are fleeting. You can't always have the golden lab uh, right there the whole time. Uh, the, the The lights are going to go off in the sky, and if it's cloudy, there's nothing to look at. You're going to run out of chocolate eventually, and then you're going to get on the scale. <laughs> that frown is back, right? Uh, You don't get enough time with the grandkids. I mean, we can go on and on and realize that happiness is fleeting and we can get it quick and we can lose it quick. Happiness is different than joy. Joy is something that runs deep, really deep. Sometimes uh, people walk around with happiness and joy and that's a cool sight to behold because it's like you're wondering what they're on because their happiness the buzz doesn't wear off and it's partly because they've got this undercurrent of joy that is going on but I have to tell you as a pastor and this is where my front row seat comes uh, into play and some of you have experienced this and the hardship of this I've experienced people that are deeply unhappy and yet filled with joy. It almost always happens around crisis and that crisis is almost always death or some other major hardship. I've seen loved ones who are at the side of the hospital bed who know that their loved one is not going to be with them much longer. And they're deeply saddened by that. Of course there's a lot of mourning and tears as they're with their loved ones in those final moments. And yet in those holy moments, at times I have witnessed joy at the same time. Not a denial of things that are happening, but something deeper that buoys them. (laughs) As hard as this is to believe, Uh, I've talked to people who are hours away from death, who are in pain, in the agony of whatever is about to take them, sometimes struggling to breathe, sometimes cringing in pain, and yet having joy even through it. It is a wonder to behold. Those are holy moments. Uh, Doris Alley was one of those. I could go off on several uh, people, but I'll never forget Doris. Uh, She passed away a few years ago and there she was surrounded by family. Uh, She wanted to hear singing so we sang songs and she wasn't well and we all knew what was ahead for her and so did she. And yet, as she's walking through this, waiting, there was also joy. Confidence in God, experiencing God that gave her something that rode her into whatever is next, into the arms of God and however that might manifest. Happiness is not the same as joy. You can be deeply unhappy and yet be filled with joy, which is what I want to talk about today because I find Mary to be a complicated person. If you haven't seen the movie, here's how it goes. She's apparently a young girl, could be 12, 13 years old. She's already been assigned to marriage. She had no choice in that, most likely in her day and age. She lived in the first century or just before the first century uh, BCE, before a common era. We think Jesus may have been born somewhere around 6 BCE. So you have this young woman who's living uh, in a remote part of what we would call northern Israel, the region of Galilee, and uh, very, very poor. She is a peasant. Her parents are peasants. uh, Because of the structures that exist, and we see this a little bit in our country, but certainly in other parts, developing countries, Um, the system was such that there was really no likelihood that she was ever going to rise past her peasant status and she knew it, and her parents knew it, and the parents of Joseph who she was assigned to marry and was engaged probably for some time before all this happened, he was also a peasant and knew he would stay a peasant. He could work with his hands, had some carpentry skills, but as I've said many times before, don't mistake that for a finished carpenter who can come in and give you a glorious kitchen. Think instead of guys waiting around the the parking lot at Home Depot hoping they get a gig that day. That's the picture you need to have. Hoping to eat that day. Extreme poverty. 99% of the people in that neck of the woods at that time they were happy to have a meal a day because they were so impoverished. This is Mary and she gets this announcement from this angel which she could not have predicted and I would say initially and probably had mixed feelings about it for a long time, did not want the news that came to her. You're going to be pregnant. And it's not going to be in the normal way. And she's confused by this. She knows she's engaged. What what about? She has all these questions. What about? What about? What about? And uh, she goes along with it. Uh, She immediately uh, makes her way to see Elizabeth. Uh, Which, uh, you had this wonderful picture, more of a modern rendition of that. Did you love that? And uh, there's, there's Elizabeth, you know, six months along or so. And as soon as they meet, the baby kicks inside. And Elizabeth recognizes that this is a God thing that's happening between her and Mary. That the one in utero recognizes the other one in utero already, the Spirit of God already connecting them in some way. Why did she go visit Elizabeth, do you think? Why did Mary want to leave the comforts of her home and the support of her village and parents and Joseph and go all that way to the south to hang out with Elizabeth? Well, it's because it probably wasn't all that supportive in her home, in her village, and with her fiancé. let's think about it even today if you're a young woman and you go tell your parents hey I'm pregnant from an unusual suspect (laughs) the last thing you're going to hear is that is fantastic we're so happy that you got this wonderful gift from above that is not going to happen this is going to be incredibly stressing and so I think she got out of dodge and I think she took a a leap of faith that her well up in years distant aunt Um, Elizabeth would look at her with kind eyes because she and her husband were known for being these wonderful gracious very uh, faithful people and she was right while they're having this conversation um, Mary's response to everything that's happened came to be known as what we call the Magnificat and embedded in the Magnificat itself we get an idea about why Mary would have a joyful response and find joy that sustained her not just through the entire pregnancy but through the raising up of this little kid named Jesus all the way to watching him die on a cross she saw the whole journey and through it all I believe that even though there were some times that were certainly unhappy like the start of this whole story I don't think was terribly happy and there were other moments that were terribly unhappy yet I think she was pulled and pushed and motivated by joy so let's take a look at the the Magnificat and see what we see because I think it's easy for us in our day and age to miss so on the next screen, we start it. Whoop, not that next screen. Let's go to the teaching. There we go. Uh, so the Magnificat out of Luke 1. She says, as the new to living translation, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who revere him. We're gonna hang out on this screen a minute. I just want to point out a couple things to think about. Uh, One thing I want you to notice, this is just a nerdy thing, but that Mighty One phrase, I can pretty much guarantee that that is a Greek translation from the Hebrew name for God called El Shaddai. It's interesting that this is the one that she wraps onto, and not surprising. <laughs> El Shaddai in Hebrew often gets translated as Almighty God. But if you really dig into the weeds of the origins of this word, it has a very, very feminine quality that Mary would resonate with deeply. El Shaddai, more accurately translated means the breasted one as an image for God the breasted one who nurtures and cares as a loving mother. It's shocking. Don't tell anybody, you'll ruin everything, right? But what an image of God. So she has this idea of El Shaddai, the breasted one, is the one who's looking on her. And some of you might might look at this and you might already have some issues. You might be thinking, "All right, Pete, I know where you're trying to go, you're trying to bring us all down and feel bad for Mary, but she was part of the Davidic line. We don't need to feel bad about her. That's a pretty big deal. I want to tell you, not a big deal. You're about a thousand years removed uh, from David. I mean, you might as well say, well, look at me, I'm a descendant of Adam, way back in Genesis 1. I mean, if you heard me say that, you'd be like, neat. So am I right? It's utterly meaningless uh, by this time in history because the family tree had just gone and gone and gone. Why and what clues do we see in here that would give us any idea why there would be joy in Mary? Well it's right there. It's in that third sentence. For God took notice of his lowly servant girl. If you are a lowly, servant girl in the first century, you're never chosen. You have no power. You have no status. You don't have any political power. You really don't have rights. You are the property of your father or your husband. That's your life. So first reason why she gets excited is because the breasted one has said, I see you. I choose you. I value you. I invite you into the greatest thing I've ever done to date. You, lowly servant girl, Again, hard for us in our time to fully appreciate this. But maybe you can use your imagination. Maybe some of you don't have to imagine that hard at all. Maybe in your own past, in your own life, there have been things that you have felt really badly about, things you wish you could have changed. Maybe there are decisions that you make that you wish you could dial back that have haunted you ever since that season. Even if it's long past... It's like maybe even whatever things you were involved in, whatever choices you made, they may have even be, been forgiven and forgotten uh, by, the, by the people that were involved. Maybe it was something that involved people who are now even dead. And I'll tell you, they don't care anymore. Uh, so uh, maybe you're, you're holding on to this because it's your thing. You're, you're, everybody else has forgiven you but you. And you feel so worthless. That it makes it even difficult to really buy anything I'm saying about God loves us and whatever we're looking at here. If that's you, if because of your own decisions, you have struggled with forgiveness and shame and guilt, then you can understand a little bit about Mary. Not because she did anything wrong, she didn't. But there is a barrier there. Maybe for some of you uh, it's a different story. It wasn't something you chose at all, but something happened to you. And it changed how you viewed yourself and how other people viewed you. And from that time on, like you've had it's almost like having letters after your name, except for they're not for degrees you earned, they're for the degrees of shame and pain you've had to carry your whole life. And you feel worthless because the way you were treated made you feel that way. And even though counselors and other people have tried to assure you, you still struggle with who you are and your worth because of what happened to you. These things run deep. Now maybe you're starting to get a feel for Mary who had this experience of God, not in breaking because I believe that God is always present, but for whatever variables were at play in this moment, she had this epiphany experience where the veil was pulled, she could see things, she could experience things, she could hear things, and I bet some of you have had similar experiences, maybe not quite that profound, but you've had these God moments. Bob used the word little miracles all around where you just recognize that there's something else moving uh, in our midst. This isn't just flesh and blood and creation, but there's this greater other that we call God that seems to be our ground of being, seems to surround everything is in us, in creation itself. And now and again, we can see it. And we are filled with joy when we do. This is Mary who up until this moment had no reason, really, to have deep joy, although these things are written about in uh, the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. But still, given her setting, this is a remarkable thing. And it's a remarkable thing because of who she was and how she saw herself and how she understands herself now. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Let's go to the next screen see if there's anything there. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors to Abraham and his children forever. Now, we need to spend some time on this too. So not only did Mary realize uh, that something had been done for her, but that something that had been done for her that she was invited into meant more than just her. It meant a bigger story that God had been building and proven God's character before this. And she's riffing on this a little bit now. She's like, well, if God did this for me, this is a fully, fully aligned with how God has been in the past because these things have happened already and she's confident that God is doing these things again. His mighty arm has done the tremendous things that we see listed here that she was recognizing as part and parcel of who God is, scattering the proud and the haughty ones well we eventually saw that in Jesus didn't we? people who would come at him and say I have the answer and you're wrong and Jesus would say now eh, you've heard it said this way but I tell you this now people would try to corner him in a game of chess with people's lives and Jesus would turn it around and save the woman caught in adultery would tell people to keep paying their taxes we didn't really like that one but anyway you, you get the idea uh, they had he had proud and haughty ones all around him and they scattered before him. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. So a little math question for you. If you have Mary, who is a peasant born of peasants, and you have Joseph, who is a peasant born of peasants, add those together and what do we get in Jesus? A peasant born of peasants, (laughs) right? So we gotta lose this idea that all of a sudden Jesus comes down with a halo on top of his head and everybody knows, you know, they just hear, oh, you know, every time they look at him, we've got to lose that idea. We also got to lose the idea that, you know, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. We're going to totally correct that next week uh, with a very noisy Christmas. But what's happening here? We're talking about a great reversal. The people who thought they had all the answers, the proud and the haughty, now they find out they're not anymore. They no longer have their power. That's what the scattered means. He brought down the princes from their thrones because they thought they had all the marbles. They thought by virtue of their position, they were the ones who were blessed by God. And now it's it's somebody else. It's the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. Well, that doesn't sound very nice until you realize first this is a poem and second This is telling us something about the way things were in Mary's world. Do you imagine that there was really a food shortage back in the first century? Was that the reason why so many people struggled? Maybe now and again, but human experience suggests that maybe it's a lot like the reason we have food shortages now. Complicated for sure, but somebody is controlling the flow of that food, systems controlling the flow of that food, systems that create monetary systems that make it impossible for some people to find food, depending on where they live and their status. We see in this situation another reversal. Mary understands her position and knows that the rich got rich, especially in her environment, on the backs of the poor peasants like her. They are really the reasons why they are hungry, and Jesus, or God, is reversing that here. He's helped a servant Israel and remembered to be merciful because that's who God is. He made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary hears all of this, and it's music to her ears. It lets her know that she's a part of something bigger than she could have imagined. It is counterintuitive, nobody's believing it, and it's countercultural. This is different than anybody could have guessed. Now, a minute ago, I asked you to play along with me a little bit and imagine if I said, well, I'm a child of Abraham, or of, of Adam. And you would say that well, that's not really that big of a deal. But I'm going to back that up. Because actually, uh, I've maligned that idea. I proudly say I am a descendant of Adam. And you know why that matters? Because of who Adam is. Adam is not just some dirt clod sitting around. Now you might look at me and think, kind of sounds like a dirt clod today. And I'm like, okay. But this is a dirt clod that doesn't stay a dirt clod in this creation myth of Judaism and that's what it is. Uh, Judaism is trying to describe creation from their experience of God contrasting other cultural other religious mythologies about how the creation came to be and the one that the Jewish people came together and settled on was one that that the creative God is not one that can't stand creation but actually loves creation at every turn as things are developing God is saying this is good this is good this is good creates human beings he's not annoyed with human beings but he sees these human beings and so that's very very good that's the first story that's Genesis 1 you get into Genesis 2 and it's a more primitive story but we see the same thing that God bends down and takes up a bunch of dirt and forms man forms Adam from dirt Claude, Claude was actually his name they decided to go with Adam because it sounded better (laughs) dirt Claude first and last name that's him and what happens he's just this piece of dirt but it doesn't end there the very breath of God that gave voice to all of creation coming to be was also given to this dirt clod. And this dirt clod became a strange mix of earthiness, flesh, and blood, and spirit. The first human incarnation. I'll claim that. I wonder if you could claim that because you should The reason why joy lasts and happiness doesn't is because joy is founded in that that which is eternal which cannot be shaken The problem is is that as we go through life we lose sight of our holiness of our adamness of our incarnationness And everything else crowds our attention to tell us this is how we're supposed to understand ourselves and identify ourselves. And we lose sight that we are holy children of God that we no longer need to label ourselves as lowly servant girl or person who made s- mistakes in the past or person who was violated uh, at a particular age and has suffered the consequences ever since. Those are, those are secondary and third levels of identity, the core identity that Mary was totally sold on that moment was that she was chosen and beloved by God. And so are you. Henry Nouwen, who was a brilliant uh, scholar and writer, um, Catholic priest, on the next slide he has this great quote. He says, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. I'm gonna read it again to force you to read it again. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war or even death can take that love away. Now we are going to read this together but when we get to that word you we're going to change that. Jesus is the experience of knowing that I am unconditionally loved you with me on that so we're going from you are to I am let's say it together out loud joy is the experience of knowing that I am unconditionally loved and that nothing sickness failure emotional distress oppression war or even death can take that love away Now that you're familiar with it, let's say it one more time. Joy is the experience of knowing that I am unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. I don't want you to be under the idea that once you've got it, joy just beams out of your eyeballs or something and you walk around that way because there are times in our lives when we lose sight of our own foundation. And even though we've known it, and at times you'll know it more than others, and so what that reminds us of is that we need to remember that this is who we really are. We get so, uh, we get, we have been so bamboozled by this horrible story called original sin. And we've actually forgotten the real story of original blessing. That is your beginning story. That is the one that we build our lives on. What will happen to you is probably what has happened to me that I have to manage continually. I will get busy in my own life. I will see my to-do list and I will go after those things. Life itself will throw me curveballs, stuff to do, people to see, Christmas carols to sing, you know, all that stuff. And I will forget or I will neglect to take time to remember the original blessing that we are. And the longer that I allow that to be neglected, the further and further away I get from the core and the colder and darker that joy becomes. This is not some evil trick that God does. It doesn't take anything away from God. It actually elevates you and me and our capacity to be in partnership with God to understand who we are and make sense of the world. It's on you and I my friends to to keep on fostering this reality. Keep tying into this root It's actually why coming here week in and week out is is part of a helpful thing for you. It's because you look around and you're reminded, oh yeah, original blessing. We're the beloved people of God, and not just us, everyone in all creation, beloved people of God. And the more we can build our lives on that, the more beautiful our lives will be, and maybe more importantly, the more beautiful those lives will be that we touch because we will not be operating off of that lesser system which elevates original sin and status and transaction but instead chooses to see the beauty in everybody around us speaks to them as fellow beloved incarnate beings because they are anybody in your life by the way that uh, You see more as a dirt clod (laughs) than as the Adam or the Eve that they really are? We all do. How might it feel to you as a human being to start treating them as the Adam and Eve that they really are? That They are God-breathed creatures just like you. That they are equally loved just like you. Doesn't let people off the hook for their wrongdoing. Everybody always goes there really quick it changes your attitude, it changes your mind, it lets you off the hook of needing to be judge and jury for so many people because your job is just to allow the love that has given you this joy, this unconditional love that is forever your foundation, that cannot be shaken as part of who we are allow that to be the thing that motivates us forward in everything that we do. It changes us, it changes our heads, it changes our eyes, it changes our ears, It changes what we do with our hands. It makes this a lot harder and this a lot easier. Do you know that you are like Mary? That you are invited to carry this one step further? You are not just a God-breathed dirt clod, which is wonderful, but you also are similar to Mary. You're pregnant you are pregnant with something that is something to behold that can change your life and change the world. Will you today choose to see what is already there? To see the invitation of God to hear the angel say (laughs) greetings I bring you good news of great joy because that news is always coming It's always here for us to hear if we'll have ears to hear it. Let's pray together. Give us ears to hear it, God. Help us have ears to hear it. This is who you are. You want us to hear this because you know it will make all the difference in our lives. And the more people that hear this good news, this gospel the more people it will transform. It all starts with this one great truth God that I I pray that today we will have new eyes and ears and hearts and minds to appreciate that you presence of God is bigger than our imaginations can possibly render. You who are as near to us as our breath and as distant from us as the expanding galaxy. You love us. It is who you are. And that changes who we are. Some of you today are still holding on to stuff. Stuff that you've done, choices you've made. Can I just tell you, as a messenger of God today, God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. There may be consequences because that's what actions do, but it does not change or affect how God views you. You still are Adam, Eve, Mary some others of you who had things done to you against your will, against the laws of God, against humanity and humane treatment of people. You who've been victims in multitude uh, ways. You who feel like nobody could love you because of can you hear it? Can you sense the spirit today? Saying listen, I know what happened to you and it's terrible and I know what you've been telling yourself about yourself ever since but that's not coming from me. You are my child and I will forever love you. Build your life on that. God, help us see ourselves truly, clearly. Incarnation everywhere we go. Messing it up here and there, but beloved all the same. Help us leave this place and move out into the world filled with a joy that is founded on a love which is unshakable. That we might carry this love and give birth to this love again, and again, and again. May we be known as the original blessing holders and proclaimers. May we be the new angels declaring good news of great joy. And may we live into it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming today. Hope you had a good experience. We will see you next week. All right.